following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Last summer, I, I coached uh, Chase's t-ball team. And, and coaching t-ball, I've, I've said, is not really coaching. It's just kind of hurting, is most of what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're, you're dealing with all of these preschool and, and kindergarten kids, and they, they don't always have the, the most focused uh, attention span. And so you're trying to teach them to, to enjoy the game. And one of the first things that, that happens when you're working with kids that young and, and teaching, coaching t-ball is you find out very quickly that they have some fears. And so you're trying to teach them to throw the ball, to catch the ball, to get in front of the ball, um, but they're afraid of the ball. And they don't want to get hit by, which is totally understandable. You don't want to get hit by a ball, do you? No, nobody likes that. Nobody looks forward to that. But in order to teach them, we had to teach them to, to, to kind of move through that. And so one, one of the days at, at our practice, I, I took the ball and I said, guys, this, this won't hurt you. And a t-ball, if you know a t-ball, is kind of a softer, squishy type baseball. And so I said, it won't hurt you. Watch. And I threw the ball up in the air and I got under it. And I let it hit me on the head. I'm like, see, I'm fine. And then to a couple of them, I took the ball and I, I dropped it on their head, right? Or I kind of threw it into their chest very lightly, very gently. I wasn't like hauling off and see, it won't hurt. <laughs> it was very controlled. But I wanted them to see that while they had this fear of the ball, they could continue to, to get in front of it. They could continue to do the things they needed to do and not let that fear overwhelm them, not let that fear overtake them. We all go through this in our lives in different ways because we face certainty, sometimes even danger in the lives that we live. And sometimes when we're faced with uncertainty or danger, uh, we let the fear and the doubt that's right in front of us stop us in our tracks. Maybe we've experienced that by shying away from certain relationships because we were hurt by somebody a long time ago. Maybe we've seen this from not engaging in a, a new venture because the what ifs are too loud in our heads to allow us to take the next step. Maybe we've experienced this by refusing to follow through on what we know God is calling us to do because we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we're smart enough. We don't think we're mature enough. We don't think we're qualified enough to do what God has called us to do. But what we find in each and every one of those situations is that if we will face our fears, if we will walk faithfully into what God has called us to, we will find that through that faithfulness, God shows us and God gives us everything that is necessary for that calling he has placed on our lives. So the question this morning is, well, why is our faithfulness to God so important? when we walk in the face of those dangers, those questions, those doubts, those fears in this life? And we find the answer in Genesis chapter 32. Here, as, as Jacob returns home, remember as the last section that we talked about in Jacob's life, he, he ran away from his brother who was trying to kill him. He went 500 miles to the land of his ancestors in Paden Aram, and he spent 40 years there gaining wealth and building a family, but now God has called him back home. And as Jacob returns home, he encounters a unique danger. It's the danger of knowing that he's about to see his brother again. Through his preparation for this eventual meeting, 
we're gonna see the value of faithfulness through both Jacob's successes and Jacob's failures along the way. But the first lesson we're gonna learn here about walking faithfully in spite of the dangers around us is this, faithfulness yields comfort. Faithfulness yields comfort. We find this in Genesis chapter 32, verses one through eight, where it says, Jacob went on his way and God's angels met him. When he saw them, Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he called that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau to the land of Seir, the territory of Edom. He commanded them, you are to say to my Lord Esau, this is what your servant Jacob says. I have been staying with Laban and have been delayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female slaves. I've sent this message to inform you, my Lord, in order to seek your favor. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you. And he has 400 men with him. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people with him into two camps, along with the flocks, herds, and camels. He thought, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, the remaining one can escape. Faithfulness yields comfort. In the very first two verses of this passage, Jacob is visited by two angels. And that's really all we get. We don't know what this interaction was. We don't know whether there was some kind of conversation. We don't know if there was direction. We have absolutely nothing to tell us about this meeting. In fact, this brief and mysterious encounter is described in the Hebrew language, the original language, with just four simple words. And they're words that we translate as, and God's angels met him. That's it. But whatever the specifics of this meeting were, it leads Jacob to name the place where he's at, Mahanaim, which means two camps. He sees it, he goes, okay, this is God's angels met me here. And likely what he is thinking in that moment, likely what that name points to, and we're not 100% sure of this, but likely what he's thinking is God's camped his angels here and I am here. So there's these two different camps in this one place. So he names this place two camps. And from here, he sends messengers ahead to his brother Esau. He sends them ahead and he says, listen, and, and, and if you watch the language here, he says, right, Esau, my Lord. He says, Esau, your servant, Jacob. Remember who won the birthright? Remember who got the birthright? Remember who got the blessing? Jacob. So who's the actual Lord in the family? Jacob. But he's hedging his bets here. He's kind of testing the waters. Let's, let's see how, how Esau feels about me. And I'm gonna do everything I can to, to make him think, think well of me and not remember that he was trying to kill me the last time I saw him. So he sends this, this messengers to test the waters. And his messengers come back and they say, hey, Esau's coming to meet you with 400 men. Now, the fact that Esau is bringing 400 men in Jacob's mind immediately goes, he's coming to kill me. He's gonna carry out what he promised he would do 40 years ago when I left here 
And he's bringing 400 men to make sure that I don't get away. So he hears this and verse seven says, then he becomes greatly afraid and distressed. I don't know about you, but if I hear somebody who doesn't like me is coming with 400 people to meet me, I'm probably greatly afraid and distressed. And so this is where Jacob is. And his next move is inspired by the fact that he's had this meeting with the angels. Remember what he named the place? Mahanaim, two camps. So now what's he do with his people? He breaks them into two camps. And he says, listen, if Esau comes, if these 400 men come and they attack one of my camps, at least the other one gets away. Jacob's putting a a safety measure in on his wealth and on his family. Half of his his stuff may be stolen, half of his family may die, but half might, might live. So he's hedging his bets. We can all, many times in our lives, act like Jacob in this passage. Because look what happens in this passage. Jacob is doing what God called him to do. Jacob is going back to his homeland where God told him to go. God has even sent messengers to meet with him. God has promised all along that he's going to deliver Jacob. Jacob knows this. He's heard this. He's seen this over and over and over again. And when the moment of truth comes, what's he do? God, I trust you. I trust you fully and completely. No. He says, yeah, God, you've been good before, but I got a better idea. Like this makes sense to me. I'm going to do what I think is best. We can tend to act like Jacob. God puts something in front of us. And instead of stopping and praying and considering his direction and his call, we enact our best plan from our best wisdom, from our best knowledge. This is not a decisive action. It is a faithless action. And in the end, it often leaves us like Jacob, greatly afraid and distressed when we rely on ourselves instead of the faithfulness of God, we find fear and distress. But when we act faithfully, trusting in God's calling, trusting in God's direction, trusting in God's provision in our lives, when we walk faithfully in light of God's goodness, God's protection, and God's provision, our eyes are drawn away from our problems and drawn to the one who has delivered us from every enemy for his purposes. In Psalm 25, David writes in in verse one and two, he says, Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. And you work down and into verse 15, he says, my eyes are always on the Lord for he will pull my feet out of the net. David says, I'm I'm, I'm gonna meet trouble. He says, there's gonna be problems. There's gonna be battles. There's gonna be dangers in front of me. But God, my eyes aren't set on the net trying to catch me. My eyes are set on you. David's eyes are drawn to the one who can lift him from the net. And in that, he finds the comfort to continue to trust in God even when he doesn't see the end game. 
Many of you have experienced that kind of comfort in your life at some point or another. Maybe you've lost a loved one and in that moment sensed that unique presence of God as he wraps his arms around you. Maybe you've been through the trials of a, a broken relationship and you've learned to trust God's love over the love of any human being. Maybe you've been through physical sickness and yet you've experienced that peace that surpasses all human understanding. In the trials and the doubt, you've continued to look to the God who delivers instead of the, the trouble that ensnares. And in that faithfulness, you felt that comfort. Now, as always, I'm not saying that if you just follow Jesus, then automatically you will relieve all your fear and distress and no trouble will ever bother you again. But what I am saying is that there is only one way in which fear and distress do not eventually overwhelm you. And that's by looking to the Lord for your comfort, for your deliverance, for the presence that you and I need in our lives. But the question is, does our faithfulness does our faithfulness in the things that God puts in front of us, does it depend on our plans, on our roadmap for the future, on our best efforts, or is it okay with God's perfect provision, regardless of how much we want that or not? When faced with dangers, faithfulness in the Lord yields a divine comfort. So we continue in Jacob's story. We see next that faithfulness not only yields comfort, but faithfulness brings strength. Faithfulness brings strength. Continues here in verses nine through 12. It says, then Jacob said, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, the Lord who said to me, go back to your land and to your family and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with my staff and now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau for I am afraid of him. Otherwise he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children. You have said, I will cause you to prosper and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea too numerous to be counted. Faithfulness brings strength. In these verses, Jacob offers a prayer before the Lord. Notice he's put this in the wrong order, right? He acted and then he prayed when he should have prayed before he acted. But nonetheless, He's put his plan into motion and now he sits back and having some time to think about this, he prays to the Lord. And it's, it really is a beautiful prayer when we, when we break it down because he starts in the first verse in verse nine and he simply restate, restates God's faithfulness. Right? He says, you are the God of my fathers. 
You are the God who delivers. He's not trying to remind God of who he is. He's reminding himself of who God is. I don't know about you, but I have this happen to me more often than I care to admit, where I start thinking like what's going on around me. I'm like, okay, God, okay, um, okay, well, I, I could do that, I could do that. I, and I gotta just stop myself and go, okay, hold on. Is God still exactly who you know God to be? Yep. Okay, now we can move forward. This is what Jacob's doing right here. He's going, okay, God, you are, you are the God who's faithful. You are the God who's good. You are the God who delivers. And then in verse 10, he goes on to confess his unworthiness of being blessed by that God. This is the, the proper posture of really every prayer. My prayer is a constant act of submission, a recognition that we can't do things on our own, that we are not good enough, we are not strong enough, we are not worthy enough by our own power, by our own strength, by the best that we have to offer. And so we come to God and we go, God, I'm not worthy of you. That's the proper posture of every prayer. And this is what Jacob does, expresses his unworthiness. Then in verse 11, he, he makes his request. He says, God, please rescue me from Esau. I am afraid, rescue me. He seeks deliverance from the only one who can deliver him. And finally, in verse 12, he offers God's motivation to act. He says, God, you are God, you are good, you are faithful. I am unworthy of you. God, please save me. And I know that you will because you have made this promise to me and you are always faithful to your promises. It's a beautiful prayer of, of awe of God and humility before him. And it's this prayer that gives him the strength to then go on and take the next step to move forward. It reminds me of of the book of Nehemiah. We've studied through the book of Nehemiah. And in in Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah is reading the law to the people. They've lost the law. They've lost sight of all that God had called them to do and called them to be as as the exile had taken place. And they had lost everything. And Nehemiah comes to him, he starts reading the law to them and the people are just broken by it. They're like, we have not been faithful to our God. We have not trusted him. We have not held up our end of the bargain. He has been so good to us and so kind to us and protected us and provided for us. And we have continually turned our back on him and they are broken. And then Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10, he says, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah says, listen, all this stuff that you know about God, all of who he is and how you are not him, know that, don't forget that, but don't let that grieve you because that's not something that should bring sorrow to your heart. That should bring joy to the fact that this God still loves you and still comes to rescue you and still comes to deliver you. And he has not rejected you or abandoned you because you have not been good enough. Just don't grieve. Let that be a source of joy in your life for the majesty of who God is. See, true strength is not a matter of muscle definition or personal pain tolerance. It's a matter of fortitude in the face of adversity, whether that's physical, emotional, or spiritual adversity. Strength is fortitude in the face of adversity. And so what does that mean to you and me? It means we need to be like Jacob here. 
We need to offer prayers like Jacob, which means like Jacob, we need to continue to have the proper posture of our hearts when we go before the Lord. And I know posture of our hearts, that's good church speak, right? That sounds really good for us to talk about in church, but then you go, well, what does that mean? You're like, I have no idea. I felt like I should say it because we're in church. The posture of our hearts. Here's what that means. Where does my trust live? Where does my trust live every moment of every day? Not just when things are good, not just when I get a quiet moment to open my Bible, not just when I pray for our meal, but where does my trust live? Faithfulness is knowing how good and faithful and loving God is, even when we don't see it in the moment. Even when everything in our flesh tries to get our faith to get up and move and go somewhere else, to find its hope, its rest, its comfort in anything else. But faithfulness says, no, this is where my faith lives. This is where my trust lives. It's when we look at God and say, God, I don't understand the situation right now. It's when we look at God and say, God, I don't like what I'm going through in this moment. It's when we look at God and say, God, I don't want to endure this anymore. Just get me out of it because I'm so tired of it. It's when we say all those things and then we say, but you are God and I trust you. In Psalm 31, another beautiful picture of this in the Psalms. Psalm 31, verse 11 through 15. It says, I am ridiculed by all my adversaries and even by my neighbors. I'm dreaded by my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street run from me. I am forgotten, gone from memory like a dead person, like broken pottery. I've heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. Okay, listen to all those verses. Put yourself in that space. How do you feel? You feel confident? You feel strong? You feel empowered? Right? Your friends, your neighbors, your family, everybody on the street, they disdain you. They run from you when they see you come and they don't want anything to do with you. You feel empowered? I would not. The psalm continues in verse 14 and 15. It says, but, but I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. When the Lord is where our trust lives, then we have the strength to continue to move forward. Not because we understand everything that's going on around us. Not because we're happy about it. But because we understand what God has called us to. And because he has loved us, we can continue to move forward. When we walk faithfully, we receive the strength to obey the truth, even when every part of our culture denies that it even exists. 
We have the strength to be encouragers in a critically negative world. We have the strength to offer grace to those that the other people in our lives urge us to just cut out and leave alone. Faithfulness to the Lord, keeping our eyes on him, gives us the strength we need for that calling that he has placed in our lives. But the question comes back to, where does my faith live? Does my faith live in the Lord who gives me the strength for what he has put before me? Or does my faith, my trust, live in anything else? Because anything else is gonna let you down and fail you. Faithfulness brings strength. Faithfulness yields comfort. Faithfulness brings strength. Finally, as we close this passage, we see that when we walk faithfully in the Lord in the face of danger, then we find that faithfulness grants security. Faithfulness grants security. Verses 13 through 21 says he spent the night there and took part of what he had brought with him as a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. He entrusted them to his slaves as, a, as separate herds. And he said to them, go on ahead of me, leave some distance between the herds. And he told the first one, when my brother Esau meets you, ask and asks, who do you belong to? Where are you going? And whose animals are these ahead of you? Then tell him, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And look, he is behind us. He also told the second one, the third one, and everyone who was walking behind the animals, say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You are also to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. For he thought, I want to appease Esau with the gift that is going ahead of me. After that, I can face him and perhaps he will forgive me. So the gift was sent on ahead of him while he remained in the camp that night. Faithfulness grants security. Once again, after Jacob's incredibly awe-filled and faithful prayer, he attempts one more time to supplement God's deliverance with his own craftily devised scheme. This is okay. God's gonna deliver me, right? I don't deserve this, but God, please deliver me. And now I'm gonna send, you know, just break my animals up and I'm gonna send them, make sure that Esau knows these are all gifts for him. Why? Jacob says, because I'm trying to appease my brother. He's trying to buy his brother off. He's trying to purchase forgiveness because he doesn't really trust fully and completely that God is going to deliver him. So instead of resting in God's faithful deliverance, he tries to work his own magic. And instead of finding security, he remains mired in his distress and his uncertainty. Once again, we see Jacob fail. And we see his plans fail to deliver 
any safety, any security, any peace in his life. A couple of weeks ago, we had the, the big storms move through town. I knocked out power at our house for a while. There was huge winds, all that stuff. Um, my kids don't like the storms. They, they want to be downstairs at Nan and Papa's house in the basement. They want to go down there and be totally separated. But you know how we comfort our kids in those moments? If you've had a, a, a child or a grandchild or niece or nephew or friend or whatever who's scared of a storm or, or, or something like that, what do, you, what do you do? Do you look at them and explain to them barometric pressure and different cloud levels, wind directions, wind speeds, walk them through the science of everything that's going on outside? Does that help them feel safe and secure? No. What do you do? You wrap your arms around them and you hold them close and you remind them that it's all going to be okay. It's not a matter of the right head knowledge. It's a matter of knowing the security of the one who's going to take care of you. Comfort in the Lord. When we walk faithfully with him, when we feel his arms wrapped around us, when we see his provision and his protection, that comfort allows us to endure the dangers that lie ahead. Comfort allows us to endure the danger that lies ahead. The strength that God gives us keeps us moving forward through it. But the security is what tells us that we are provided for and protected even in the midst of the danger. Security in our faith says that God's plan is good enough for me because he knows what is best and I can fully trust him because he has promised to deliver me because he has promised to bring me through and I can trust in him. God's calling in your life, God's calling in my life, God's calling in every single one of our lives will never come with the assurance of physical safety or financial guarantees or spiritual victories on our terms. But our security in the Lord tells us that whatever God calls us to, a calling that we know by prayer, by study, by the wisdom of others around us, we can take on that mission and we can do it without a concern of whether it will work out well enough for me. Whether I will be successful on worldly terms or on the terms of the people around me. In Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13, you get this 
beautiful statement from Paul where he says, therefore, dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And if you studied that, those verses, you know, when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he doesn't mean try to figure out if you're saved. He says, no, 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 you, you have that assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is continue to figure out how this looks in your day-to-day life, how this looks within the calling that God has given you, that God has placed on your life. And as you do that, remember that it's not about your work. It's not about your success. It's not about you being respected or honored. It's about God working in you and through you for his will and his purposes. So you don't have to worry about outcomes. You have the security of knowing that God is taking care of you and that is enough. So what does that mean in in our lives? Well, that means if, if God says, hey, you need to go on a missions trip, you know what you do? You go. You have concerns about the finances, about the travel, about whatever. If God's really called you to this, you go. It means that when God says, hey, maybe you should be serving in Ignite Worship downstairs on Sunday mornings. And you're like, ah, I don't know if I can handle those kids. But God keeps telling me that this is what I need to do. You know what you do? You serve. It's when God says, knock on your neighbor's door just to check in. And everything in your head says, that seems weird. Nobody wants me knocking on their door to check in. But you feel like God's going, do it, do it, do it. You know what you do? You do it. (laughs) You knock on the door. You have that awkward conversation with them. See, we don't need to reshape God's calling to fit our vision in life when we are secure in his purposes, when we are walking faithfully in him. When fear and uncertainty hold us back, we will find security through faithful obedience. Security through faithful obedience over the results that we've yet to see. We, every one of us, we are broken and fallen people living with other broken and fallen people in a broken and fallen world. And that means that our lives will never persist for too long a period without trials, without toils, without troubles, without the dangers of rebellion and destruction of human depravity. And whether we experience that through relationships or the fragility of finite human life or, or just the unknowns of what lies ahead, we will experience those troubles But in all of that danger, in all of the unknown, in all of our ability to to overcome, what that really highlights in our lives is not the fact that we are too weak. What it highlights is the majesty and the glory of the God that we serve. It highlights the fact that our God who created the heavens and the earth with nothing but a word from his mouth, after we have rejected him time and time again, he continues to love us. He continues to pursue us. He continues to wrap his arms around us. He continues to give us chance after chance after chance to repent of our sin, to say, yes, God, I am a broken, fallen, flawed person. I mess up all the time. And I don't deserve your forgiveness or your love, but I'm so grateful that you offer it. 
so that we can run back to him, so that we can embrace the, the forgiveness and the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ who lived perfectly, the only person who ever lived perfectly and didn't deserve to die, but who sacrificed himself on the cross for our behalf, paying the penalty for our sin so that he could rise leaving an empty tomb so that he could stand at the right hand of the father and be our high priest, our advocate, so that we could be freed, we could be redeemed, not because of our work, not because of our best efforts, not because we didn't fail so much as that other person, but because he is God, he is good, and Christ has forgiven us, and he has wrapped us in his righteousness. When our lives are built, not on the failed efforts of our limited abilities, but on the perfectly complete and victorious work of Jesus Christ, then we can walk faithfully in spite of whatever happens around us. We can live and walk a faithfulness that yields comfort to allow us to handle the danger at hand and, and brings us the strength that is greater than the best we have to offer so that we can continue to push forward. And it grants the security of knowing that our status as sons and daughters of the most high God is not dependent upon our ability to earn it, but on the acceptance of the grace through which God has bestowed it. Church family, may we walk faithfully this week and may we find exploding joy and hope and purpose in God as he continues to reveal his protection and his provision in our lives and through our faithful walk. And wherever our feet may fall, let us be the messengers of the gospel who live in a cycle of increasing faithfulness and deepening trust of God's love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. May we walk faithfully in the face of every danger because our God is good. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for the majesty of who you are. And we are grateful for the love, the grace, and the mercy of your son, Jesus Christ, poured out on us by the sacrifice of his body and his blood, by his victory over the empty tomb, by the promise we have, the promise we have of comfort and strength and security in you and in you alone. Would remind us over and over again of your provision and your protection. We thank you and we praise you. And in your great and your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.